0: the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast Podcast with Kenan Skelly. Join Kenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power now more than ever.
1: Hey, hey, everybody, it's Ian and Skelly, and this is the latest episode of the National Blast. I've got a gr- great guest here today, and I'm not going to waste any time, blah, blah, blah. Guest, please go ahead.
2: Uh, my name's Mark Lance. I am responsible for digital forensics, incident response, and threat intelligence at guide points secure
1: oh you know i love threat intelligence
2: <laughs>
1: you know i love it what are the bad guys up to
2: uh same thing trying to make money
1: well i mean yeah that's age old
2: and they're doing it well they continue to do it well i do think we've seen some interesting kind of specifically against the u.s some interesting slowdowns from a ransomware perspective which
1: think tell I'd me think. tell me more um tell me more about this
2: yeah i mean i think that you know, it's definitely still present. They're still out there. They're making a ton of money. There are certain groups that are actually certainly more active than they've been. But I feel like year over year, like we have seen against the U.S., a lot of what we're doing right now is is outside of the U.S. And against the U.S., we're just seeing lower volume than we've traditionally seen in the past. And just speaking with like people who might be competitive to us or but our friends in the industry, I think they're seeing it across the board. So
1: That's really interesting in terms of, you know, everything that's going on geopolitically right now, you know, I mean, the Ukraine and Russia and, you know, we as Americans tend to piss people off on a daily. So um, are you talking about all kinds of threats or is that, you know, everything but nation state threat actors or how do do you how do you guys look at that?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely categorize things as like criminal threats, activist threats, nation state sponsored or like. APT um, related actors and I would say that like on the more criminal side is where we're probably seeing the slowdown Um, it could be attributed to a wide variety of things we can speculate Um, we know that a lot of those groups are Eastern European based and and we know that you know there's probably affiliations between them and certain governments
1: probably (laughs) Probably maybe.
2: <laughs> and so the thing is, is like, one, they could be leveraging those resources in other ways, shapes, and forms right now. But two, I also think you don't want to be the one that starts a war. So, like, say you are, you know, a threat Say you're, and you attack a US company and you bring down some sort of critical infrastructure.
1: You don't want to be that guy. No, exactly. <laughs> now all
2: of a sudden they're pointing the finger at you. They're, they're like, Oh, so you're the one who just caused a declaration of war <laughs> yeah. and started uh, offensive right. attacks. So. Nukes.
1: We have nukes now, thanks. Yeah, That exactly. was your fault.
2: <laughs> yep. So I think that's like one of the big things. like They were probably being
1: super cautious right now. And what's funny, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we saw this little breakdown with Conti and, and some of the other uh, threat groups really getting on their, their pedestals of, am I really a dirtbag or am I not a dirtbag? <laughs> And trying to work that out internally. What do you think about that? Like, I
2: it's so interesting. Because me. <laughs> I mean, it's just like anywhere else. It's like you have this, but I think it was cool to see like the inner turmoil of oh, these what seem to be well functioning organizations. You know, it's uh like just to have, laid
1: bare in the chat.
2: Right? I know. <laughs> it's like, and it's, but it's also just like watching them be like, hey, you know, we fully support Russia, and then it's like come back a couple hours or later. Uh, just kidding, actually. We <laughs> fully support anybody other than the warmongers in the West. And then it's like, then you can see that people because of affiliations in their local regions are like, you know what? Let's start leaking out this information because we don't support what they were saying. So it's like, now you're saying internal conflicts because it is distributed across, you know, warring countries as well. Absolutely. That's, it's interesting.
1: It's super fascinating. And I think it gives like insight into a lot of the other groups that are operating too, who are obviously multinational, um, you know, working with different governments, working with different non-governments. And, you know, there's some guy in there that's like, you better just shut up. I don't (laughs) care. I don't care what your ideology is. Do you want to get paid? Do we want to get paid? I mean, I think it's just like
2: a, somebody here having a corporate incident they're like all right keep your damn mouth shut <laughs> and don't nothing. talk about this say nothing because you're gonna go out there and run your mouth and we're like uh we're not affiliated with that person don't listen to anything they're saying right like that's they're having a avoid like, those same kind of pr nightmares that even that's organizations so
1: true do. and it i like that kind of spin on it because remember like i think it was like six months ago everybody was coming out talking about how these ransomware organizations are now more like corporate entities they're much more structured of course they're going to have pr problems (laughs) (laughs) you know of course there's going to be drama right i mean i mean i I think
2: yeah i think it comes with the it comes with the game because i mean they've got the they've got the sections of their websites that are up and like hey for press and news please hit us up so it's like, well, guess what else comes along with that? Not just that's right. Not just fun, there's problems as well.
1: This is a whole money more problems thing. So <laughs> money, let's talk about money. Mm-hmm. Crypto is in chaos right now. It's like utter chaos. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what you think. Um, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's still obviously a good monetary way for them to make money and, and exchange currency. And so I think we'll continue to see crypto used. Um, there's no question about that. I think it just like everybody's saying, you know, right now it's on a colossal downturn. Um, I think what's crazy is to think about some of the values and oh, what they had historically. Like think about if you had, you know, 3000 Bitcoin previously and now what that's worth. Okay. So like they have lost, a large portion of what they probably had budgeted. But again, that comes with the territory of using something that's so volatile to back Absolutely. your entire
1: organization. And I, I thought it was great. I saw this great meme out in the wild that had like tech bros on one side and hackers on the other side about the crash. And they're all like, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's exactly what it is. You know, I, they're, criminals are always going to use, you know, the easiest thing that they can get their hands on for them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean anything about security, which is really funny because they're hacky things, yeah. so they, <laughs> they should know <laughs> it's yeah. not necessarily super stable.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, but it's a great way to transact without too much overhead and being able to chase the money. So, I mean, that's that's why I think we'll continue to see it used. I mean, we've seen them try to shut down brokerages and things like that. We were actually having a conversation earlier with somebody. It's like they're always going to find a way to do it. Yeah. Like, especially whether that's from the victim side. If you take down their organization operationally and they don't have access to data, even if you're working with an OFAC sanctioned group, like, but if you need that to sustain your business, you're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. And similarly with the threat actors, like, they're going to find a way to get paid. They're going to so find a way to make it.
1: Talk to me more about the OFAC because we, we've had some dealings with that too with, you know, Shadow White and, and, and it's an interesting space that I don't think a lot of people really understand. Can you like just give an overview of how that actually works?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, basically um, the Department of the Treasury has the list of OPAC sanction groups that, that say by funding any of these groups um, or working with any of these groups, you're essentially helping fund terrorism and incris- criminal activities. So, just like there are certain countries we're not allowed to transact with, these groups are known to be affiliated with those countries, or terrorist organizations, or something else. So they're basically saying, if one of these, if you're hit by ransomware and the group that has performed that, you know, ransomware operation is one of these groups, you can't pay them. Now, interestingly, <laughs> though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're not allowed to. Okay, cool. Well, I need my business to run. But interestingly enough, though, too, if you read through that, it actually says that it's not doesn't it doesn't hold the like emphasis of law or something. It's all civil penalties
0: yeah. and fines.
2: So it's like you will out the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're going to try to hit you with civil penalties. But I don't know. It also says in there, it's like, if you let us. No, so early enough, maybe we're not going to smack your hand as hard. Right. So um, it's just, yeah. It's And so when somebody is hit with ransomware now, um, if you are potentially looking or making a payment, they're going to run the wallet where you are transferring that currency to. They're going to run that wallet against the OPAC sanctions list. And if for some reason it came up, you're not supposed to pay them. And a lot of brokerages will actually, as soon as they see what group even started it, they're like, no, we're not going to pay them. So but
1: somebody's going to. Yeah. This is where it gets interesting for companies, cybersecurity companies that are doing ransomware negotiations, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you have to start thinking about it as a negotiator, what you're willing to do for that company mm-hmm. in this situation. So that adds another layer of complexity to, you know, how, how are these things getting done? People want their businesses to run, so they're going to pay one way or the other. Do as a cybersecurity company, do you help them? Do you not help them? Do you say... OFAC is the line, <laughs> yeah. And peace out, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I think that there's different
2: companies, like kind of similarly, like, who take different approaches. Because like we worked with a lot of global organizations that are like, we got hit with ransomware. I don't give a damn what the impact is. We have a hard line in paying ransomware. We're not going to do it. Yeah. And then you've got other co- companies who are like, you know, we're going to help you do whatever you have to do to get back <laughs> online. So I think it's it's almost maybe it's like a like a organization's culture or you know the way that they personally feel about it that will help determine that and to your point i think even some of the brokerages are like "Nope, absolutely not we're not going to deal with that and then you've got some other maybe a little bit more sketchy ones they're like you know what, we'll take that
1: sure <laughs> yeah. But then there's also the cybersecurity companies, and I find this, I I happen to know just a little bit about this. Um, (laughs) What I find interesting is that when people are looking for a ransomware negotiator, if they've had an incident and they want to reach out to somebody, there's like this gaggle of security companies companies and people who are approved by cyber insurance and by law firms and by this and this and this. Well, what does that mean if like a law firm approves of you? Because I mean, law firms are sketchy already. And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, If the lawyer thinks you're a good idea, is that still a good idea? I mean, I don't know.
2: It's, it, that's definitely an area that gets super interesting as well, because I mean, when you're going to do incident response work, you've got a couple barriers to get through. Like one of the first questions we asked is like, okay, are you going through insurance? Um, because a lot of insurance carriers will say, okay, well, for incident response services, if you want it to be covered by insurance, you can only use these specific firms, right and which is okay. well, so you try to get on lists list of the firms. but then they bring in their preferred external counsel as well and their external counsel is like, well, we actually only want to deal with and use these specific set, uh, set of firms. So the insurance carriers and councils sometimes are making the decisions on who's going to you know, get all of the IR work. Yep. Um, and there's been multiple instances where if you're not involved in a panel or if you're not a preferred you know, IR service provider to counsel, they're going to be like, uh, well, thank you for what you've done, even though you've been helping out <laughs> exactly. for the last two days. Like, Peace we're, out. We're, yeah, we're bringing in somebody else. And so... Um, I think that there's obviously benefit of using external legal counsel because they can help you with the disclosure requirements and notifications and potential liability and everything else, but should insurance and the legal companies be the only ones making the decision on who's an appropriate incident response?
1: Companies? Exactly.
2: I mean, they're not necessarily always the most technical. Exactly. It depends what firm you work with. So it just, it's, that's always, uh, that can always vary.
1: Yeah. i think it'll be interesting to see though now that cyber insurance companies are are starting to get the crack the crack of the whip and say no we're not we're not covering this we're not covering that like you've had three incidents in the last six months yeah yeah you're done um i think that's going to help that process a little bit and weeding out some of the the bs but i don't know we'll see
2: and i and i get some of it too because i think historically you had a lot of service providers were probably like oh they've got insurance we're just going to bill a ton we're going to charge a ton and so this is an opportunity to make money they weren't necessarily being the most moral or ethical when they're doing their services but um again is it appropriate for the insurance companies to say okay well only these companies are going to get all the business yeah but it's um with the insurance companies they to your point they've been bleeding cash for the last couple oh yeah I mean, literally, I mean, because at first 10 years ago, it's like people started getting cyber insurance policies. Within the last five, six years, everybody got one. But then now we know the threat actors specifically target insured companies because they don't get paid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you're paying out of pocket, you might not have the money. But if your insurance is paying it and you got a policy for it, they sure as hell are. So it's like target the insured companies. I think their policies were super loose up front where it was like
1: yep. minimal
2: checks and balances going in. Like, Hey, you want a policy or this amount? Okay, cool. But now that they're having to pay out on all those policies, that's where we're here now. Like all of our clients are like, our costs went up five X this year.
1: Yep. And
2: not only to get that, we had to go through such a more rigorous process just to even get the insurance.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a whole episode, by the way, on this for the listeners um, that I did with um uh, a gentleman from cyber, and I can't think of his name right now, but um, totally interesting in terms of data and how cyber insurance is so different from traditional insurance, where there's so much data out there where these kinds of things for hundreds of years can be tracked and, and trends can be sort of tracked. But for cybersecurity, just kind of like throwing things at him and saying, well, this could be the problem, or this could be the problem, or I don't know, it could be this too. So I can't even imagine as an insurer having to come up with that Ideology or that that systematic understanding of the data of cybersecurity.
2: Yeah, I mean it is, <laughs> and I mean it's. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's new because I mean, hell, we've been doing this for a long time. But it's like there are certain things that have been introduced, like cyber insurance. That I mean, the first cyber insurance policies, yeah, they were created probably over twenty years ago, I believe. Um, but Again, we're still learning because the threats are evolving. Now they're targeting insured companies. They're getting paid a ton. They're, you know, leveraging extortion as well as the operational impacts. And then now potentially even going to DDoS people. So it's like they're evolving and changing. And so we're just continually having to evolve and learn as well throughout the process.
1: It's just like the old school terrorists who used to make all the IEDs and we would like come up with a a fix for it and a response for it. And then they would change it up the (laughs) next day because they were watching us. And then it would be something totally new. And we'd be like, shit, what do we do now? Yeah,
2: I know. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> they've moved on to the next thing. But that's. The, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. It's like, we've got to not only stay ahead of oh, it, we've got to figure out a way to stay further ahead of it. Absolutely. Not just one step, but like, how can we stay multiple steps ahead that's, But I mean, hell, if we had that answer, we'd be rich. Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. So what are you guys doing here? Like, What are you looking forward to this week? What's there, the big thing you're super excited about?
2: uh i mean i like to get together with the people that i work with i mean it's always so here's the thing i used to work for rsa i ran their um incident response team globally for like eight years um yeah (laughs) and so i mean i've been here a ton and there's a lot of value that comes out of the conference but for me like i'll tell you the truth i don't even attend the conference people it's a social networking event like you literally just get to get out and see people that you haven't seen in a long time, especially after COVID. Oh yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Like now you're getting to see people again, go out, have drinks, have food. Like that's,
1: I've that's been what I'm giddy. here for. I've been giddy. I got here on Saturday and I'm just giddy because I keep seeing people and I'm like, Yay! We've yeah. been forever and this is just it's wonderful. I but, love it. I'm yeah. excited.
2: I'm um, with you. I mean that's that for me is what I'm looking forward, just seeing not only coworkers, but people I haven't seen for, yeah. for years, honestly It's, like, it's a big thing. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: We're all gonna get sick too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's inevitable. yeah, it's gonna happen.
1: It may not be COVID, but we're all gonna get that. onto <laughs> it and think it's COVID and be like, oh, why did I do this to myself? Oh, it's oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you so much. It's cool. great chatting to you as always. Um, you know, RSA is gonna be very interesting this year, and I look forward to chatting with you and others after the event, after we have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> And see some of the other things that happened, uh, some of the cool folks who talked to you on that podcast. But it's been the latest episode of the National Blast, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks
0: for we hope you enjoyed this episode of the National Blast Podcast with Keenan Skelly. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends